Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Lindsay Happy Podcast Show. Today, we have an incredible guest, Scott Shaw, on, and he's going to talk a little bit about his amazing entrepreneurial journey and disrupting the education market. We're thrilled to have him on and hear his story. Scott, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Lindsay. It's, a, it's great to be here. I look forward to our conversation. Likewise, I love I love hearing the entrepreneurial journey. It's just like riveted with near-death experiences and it's a high contact sport and epic vistas with incredible wins. So I'm excited to hear um, your journey. Why don't you start off by sharing us a little bit about you, whatever you want to share and share with us your journey and, and how you got to where you are and, and um, wherever you want to start. I'd love to give you that opportunity. Sure. Well, uh, I started off uh, as a lot of people do, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And I started working two years in Washington, D.C. for a consulting company. And I decided that wasn't what I wanted. And then I had the good fortune to bump into a friend of mine who was up at Merrill Lynch Investment Banking, and that sounded far more exciting. And so I had the good fortune to uh, join with them in their private equity group. And I was there uh, for about 12, 15 years with a, a, a step out to go to business school. And then I decided I wanted to move from investing and get more operational experience. And so I ended up moving into one of the portfolio companies, frankly, that the private equity group owned, and that was Lincoln Educational Services. And I've been there now for the last uh, 22 years, and I've been the CEO uh, for the last seven years. And we've had quite a, uh, an interesting time during those two decades. Uh, the company itself is uh, 75 years old. Um, and so it's been around for a long period of time and we've had a lot of growth, but we've also had some contraction and we've had, we're in a very highly regulated industry because uh, we get our funding from the federal government for the most part through student loans. And so it's been very interesting to see how that all has played out. Uh, the good news is uh, we're still around and we're still, uh, in fact, we're doing incredibly well and we're on a really positive trend uh, given where uh, given what we do and who we serve and what the needs are out there in the uh, in the country for skilled technicians. And so I'm really quite excited to have survived and more excited about what our future has yeah. uh, ahead of us. Oh, Scott, that's, that's great. So t maybe we could start off by sharing a little bit. So what made you want to transition into an operator, a CEO, actually, you know, from being from the finance world and just changing your your paradigm and your purview and also why education what was it about this company and lincoln that, that actually inspired you to to make that jump well i, I decided operational experience was i thought that frankly it would give me better insights to be a better investor frankly in, in the future 
Um, I frankly didn't anticipate staying as long as I did with this company, but uh, I, I love what we do, and that's what's kind of held me here or, or kept me here. Was it's it's uh, it's a nice mission that that we have. So I, I did it initially to get skills to become a better investor, but I fell in love with what we do, and that's why I, I kind of stay here uh, for, for the longer period, um, and maybe just to help. Uh, people listening understand what we do. Um, Lincoln is a leader in training middle skills people. And the middle skills are those that are more than a high school. You have to have to graduate from high school, but less than a bachelor's degree. And it's the largest section of the U.S. workforce are the middle skills. And everything, as we all know, is becoming much more technologically involved which requires more training, frankly, than just stepping onto the job. And so what we do is we provide accelerated, uh, very specific training in three areas. We train people in the healthcare field, namely licensed practical nurses or medical assistants. Medical assistant is someone when you go to your doctor's office that will take all your vitals and your blood and blood pressure and things of that nature. Uh, we have a, another group which is just as large in our skilled trades. So we're helping people become welders, electricians, HVAC techs, and CNC machinists. And then what the company started as was an automotive technician training. And so we have about a third of our students are either learning automotive, diesel, or, or collision repair. And all these students uh, are now considered, due to COVID, essential workers. And if you read anything in the newspaper, you know that there are not enough of any of these professionals out there in the world. And as we look to uh, make our world more green, as we look to rebuild our infrastructure, the need for these types of skilled professionals is only going to increase. And that's one of the great things about what, what we're doing and what's so exciting about trying to figure out how do we attract more students, train them, and then marry them up with companies that are also desperate you know, for them. That's, it really is a stunning mission because you're, you're responding to such big demand signals in a world where education is being highly disrupted by online education. Um, the idea of vocational education being offered in this capacity is super exciting. Can you talk a little bit about maybe why, because you're in this industry and disrupting it, why is higher education kind of failing people? I think people would find that kind of interesting to hear. Yeah, so I think people see it happening. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, maybe this is getting a little too um, political or whatnot. But, you know, when the government kind of sets their mind on something, you know, they can't do it very subtly. And so we did make the decision back in the 80s that more people had to be educated because in order to get higher paying jobs and to deal with the complexities of our technologically advancing society, we frankly need more people to be trained. But in that effort of getting more people to go to college, they kind of ignored a lot of the basics. And instead of uh, finding those people that could benefit the most by going to college, they more or less made this mandate everyone needs to go to college and everyone's just kind of being pushed to college, whether they're ready for it or not, or whether they really know why they want to go. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. Luckily, it all worked out uh, for me at the end. But if you look at the statistics overall, only 60% of the people that go into college graduate six years later. So not four years later, but six years later. And we all know plenty of people that have graduated from college that are not using their college degree or have jobs that didn't require a college degree. 
And so this is kind of the inefficiency that exists out there. Instead of trying to figure out how do we marry people up with the best opportunity for them, um, we just kind of push them all through the funnel. And unfortunately, a large percentage end up, you know, frankly, suffering from going through that. I think that that is changing. I think people are realizing, given the amount of student debt that they have, that maybe this isn't as sure a bet as it was in the past. And I, I think that people are getting wiser. I mean, I, I'm hearing more people taking a gap year and things of that that nature. And frankly, I've given my own kids that advice. You know, if you don't know really what you want to do, there's no need for you to jump into this right away. And uh, there's there's so many more avenues where you can learn something and get a job. And when you know what you want to do and you know that that college degree is going to benefit you and enable you to advance, then you can go get it. When you really have, a, will say, more commitment and more interest, and I think you'll be much better off. And at the same time, I think people are realizing that you know, maybe sitting behind a desk or looking at a computer all day isn't the type of lifestyle that they want. And people, even though they're not exposed to it as much as they should be in high school, more people are considering the trades and things that they can do to be outside the office, things that they can do that can be creative, things that they can do where they feel uh, that they're making a difference. It can see the difference on a daily basis. I mean, if you, you go to someone's house and fix their like, electrical problems, you know right then and there you've accomplished something. And that can be very rewarding for, for people. So mm. um, the, the, the challenge is we need more people with a college degree, but we also need many more people right now with just uh, middle skills uh, to, to keep our economy growing and enabling us to live the lives we all want to live. Oh, that's a great answer, Scott. You know, I'm married to an Australian, and in Australia, the culture and the political discourse is not the same where everyone should go to college. They have a huge emphasis on vocational skills and middle skills, and as a result, they have a more strong middle economy. Um, and it's interesting because with the wave of, um, you know, I remember when we when I was young and in college meeting all these young Australians that were taking these giant gap years, they would finish high school and they go travel the world to figure out what demand signals they had from their own passions and their lives, see what was out there, decide. Um, I thought that was at first, you know, felt reckless because the culture conditioning I had come from was like, what are you doing? Just like wasting a year of like some prime, you know, opportunity to have, you know, ex external outcomes and, and be, it felt like they were just lacking tenacity, but actually in the end, they were more better suited for the jobs and the vocations they chose and the careers they chose because they did them much with much more informed specialization. Even the education in Australia is only a three-year higher education. Their equivalent of our bachelor's degree is three years, not four. And they don't spend two years doing generals like we do. They spend three years specialized. So their decisions are much more, they're better educated in their expertise and less generally educated in academia. Yep. So it's interesting. But when you say that, I, I, I was thinking about with the invention of AI and the crazy unexpected, like, I don't think anyone can conceptualize where artificial intelligence is going to take the economy and shape our world. Um, we have some senses and some guesses, but I mean, it's the biggest thing it ever invented since the internet. I mean, it, there's, there's very few things we can say that will just change the absolute landscape of how humans interact. Um, and I think I'm hearing more and more from thought leaders in this space that those middle skills will be indisposable because that's some place where AI right. cannot um, cannot be replaced. You look at, you know, somebody who has a PhD in, 
I don't know, something like Near Eastern Studies, like my brother who's a PhD in that. You know, <laughs> you know, AI will be able to have all of that information and dissertation and replace, you know, books and publishing and information and teaching and you know what I mean? That translation yes. experts, linguistics. Yeah. I mean, so many of these higher these higher um, paid higher education academia skills can be utterly replaced. I mean, writing, I mean, music. I mean, it's just kind of scary to think, well, you know, what all that's going to be disrupted, yep. but, but someone coming in and fixing your plumbing that can't be done by AI. So I'd love your, I'd love your thoughts on that too. Like where, what you maybe are, are, yep. are assuming about the future. Yeah. So what we are assuming is exactly what you said. I mean, uh, AI is not going to come in and fix your uh, air conditioning if it breaks down or mm -hmm. if your car breaks down. Mm -hmm. It may assist in evaluating what the problem is, which will make people, at least in the skills that we offer, more efficient and more effective. Mm -hmm. But you're still going to need that hands-on presence to kind of put that knowledge into practice. And so what we've we're focused on are spe specifically those types of programs that aren't going to be replaced by AI that you can't outsource to a cheaper economy uh, that should provide you really with a, a long-term career. The career just may be evolved and AI will become one of your tools, but you, the individual that has that skill, um, we don't anticipate seeing any replacement. Now, we are very much in the automotive field, and so now we are gravitating to training more about EVs, but EVs still only represent about 5% of the new cars sold in the United States. There are over 280 million combustion engines out there in different types of vehicles. So it's going to take a while for those to go away and for that skill of learning how to repair a combustion uh, engines uh, is going to be with us, I would imagine, for over a decade or so, if not even longer. But we are also, though, trying to give students the skills and awareness of how do you work on an EV. And, and oddly enough, the most important thing to learn about an EV compared to the combustion engine is how not to kill yourself because the amount of power and electricity that's in an EV, uh, that, that's kind of like one of the basic things. You're, you're not going to get hurt, uh, most, most likely touching your battery in your traditional car. But if you hit the wrong cable in an EV, you literally, I mean, a Obviously, it's high end, but a Porsche really? has almost like 900 volts going through it, wow. um, and, and you don't want to touch that. Wow, this is really fascinating. So, Scott with Lincoln. So, my son just graduated. He's he was homeschooled. My oldest son, he's 15, and he graduated okay. with his GED very quickly. He was like super ambitious and finished four years of high school in one year, living here on the North Shore in Hawaii, which shocked me because you know, other than surfing, you just did online school. But now that he's done you know, um, looking at his next steps, you know, to just go get his, his uh, associate's degree is his next step. Tell me yep. a little bit about like, you know, as a, as a either recently graduated high school student or a student like my, a homeschooled student like my son, how do, how do they engage with you? They go online, they sign up for a specific course like they would any other course in yep. higher ed? Well, we are not, uh, we are blended versus online. So unless mm -hmm. your son wants to move from beautiful Hawaii to <laughs> where we have one of our 22 campuses, he's not going to be able to take advantage of us. So our programs are designed for hands-on training, and that's what really makes us different. Mm. Um, we do have blended learning now so that students spend about a third of their time online learning the principles. But when they come to our campuses, we, that's when we want to give them the fun stuff. And so that's when they're in the shops, in the labs, doing the things that they've learned 
uh, from their online experience, but more than two thirds of their time, they're in those shops and labs because they need to learn you know, how things work. They need to hold the tools. They need to understand how to uh, uh, fix certain things. And and uh, there's lots of uh, memory, uh, uh, muscle memory and things of that nature that comes yes. into it, especially if you're going to become a welder. You, you can't learn that. No. Uh, you can get exposed to it online and do it with VR for up to a stage. But in order to really have that skill, you have to be physically doing it. So um, we do have campuses where students come and relocate. Uh, we don't have the dorms, but they live in apartments and come to us. Mm-hmm. But most of our students, frankly, are adults. Are the average age of our student is around twenty-five. Mm. So a lot of them have tried various careers, or maybe have gotten into um, the, the the hospitality industry or or the retail industry, and they just realize after doing that a few years that either it's not something that they're interested in or passionate about, but more likely it's just not going to give them the income to support themselves or or have a family, and then they look for a skill or they finally do something that. Uh, maybe their parents told them, you know, no way you're going to go to automotive school. Um, and they realize that, hey, I, I can make six figures uh, as I advance along and become uh, well um, versed in this field. And so they, we are giving people many times a, a second or third chance. Uh, and many have gone to a community college or something else and just realized this just wasn't resonating with yeah. them. Uh, but when they get to work with their hands and see the tangible results of what they're learning, uh, that that's what engages them. That's super inspiring, Scott. How you have campuses all over the country? Which states are they located in? So we, we're in fourteen different states. Lincoln started in Newark, New Jersey, so mm-hmm. right outside New Jer- outside New York City. So we have a higher concentration between Boston and um, Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are also in Atlanta, Nashville. Um, Denver, Las Vegas, Indianapolis, Chicago, Dallas, and we're building a new campus in Houston. Um, so those, those are the areas where we are today. That's so exciting. So Scott, you're funded by the government, um, but do also is there you know tuition fees directly for, from the individual participants as well? Yep. As well, um, what is right. the average so, cost of education? Yep. Yeah, for your for your students. Sure. So, yeah, so we're like any other uh, accredited institution. So our students can apply for Title IV loans like anyone, if you went to the University of Hawaii, for example, Mm -hmm. would apply for. Uh, Also, we do serve a lot of lower income individuals. So they can apply for Pell Grants, which are free money from the government that they don't have to repay. And about probably about 70% of our students get some form of uh, Pell Grants. Mm. Uh, And then the rest are, are funded either through uh, money that they may have saved through third-party loans, and we give about a quarter of our students will extend credit to them. So, and the programs the, they vary in cost depending on the length. Everything that we do though is at an accelerated pace and is in about a year's time. So, our one-year program is really equivalent to about two and a half years of college. Because if you go to college and if you have children that have gone to college and you probably have gone to college, uh, a semester is only 15 weeks long. And in those 15 weeks, you're only with a teacher about 15 hours. So that's 225 hours in one semester. And then you go to your second semester. So that's 450 hours in one academic year. Uh, In one year with us, 
you'll go to school for a thousand hours. So because it's, we teach it, we treat it much more like a job. We don't have summer breaks. We don't have winter breaks. We don't have holidays left and right. It's more like our students want to get in, get out and get working as quickly as possible. So as far as cost goes, it roughly costs about $25 an hour for the education. And the programs range from about 720 hours to about uh, 1600 hours. So with books and tools, the tuition is going to range from roughly 21,000 up to 36,000. The, the average student that leaves us has about $13,000 worth of student debt uh, from the federal government, which translates into a monthly payment usually of less than $150 a month. Not a small amount, but far less than what you would incur if you went to a four-year school. That is really um, compelling because they're also coming right out with this hard skill. And like you said, very easy to find jobs. Not not as easy. I, like I was a, yeah. a visiting professor here at BYU Hawaii, and a huge part of our students were leaving with degrees in like cultural studies and things like that. Where you know they're now all of they're now they're now like working at, as baristas in fast food restaurants with these huge debts. And so yeah. that's a really common yep. criticism of higher education is the caliber of you know what is the value of the degree. But with with, with your situation, what kind of job placements yeah. are you seeing with your students afterwards? Yep. Yep. So we are, I mean, first of all, again, people come to us to get a job. So we're very much focused on the placement rates. And so just to put everything in perspective, we have about a 67% graduation rate. If you look at the typical community college in the United States, the graduation rate's around 30%. Uh, and then for our placement rate, we're around 82%. And when I say placement, that means that they've trained to be an electrician and have gotten a job as an electrician. If they've trained as an electrician and become a barista, that doesn't work for us. We're not counting that. And we have a third party that's validating those placements because that's really key and, and core to who we are. We're all about getting jobs. We have partnerships. We, we provide training for Tesla. We provide training for BMW. We have tr training for Johnson Controls. We have training for Hussman. Different companies have come to us to add specialized training on top of our basic training. Uh, we have a program with the Food Processing Association. I didn't know there was such a thing, but the people that um, you know supply the, our food industry with equipment can't find technicians. And so they came to us. We designed a program that the students don't pay for. It's free for the students. The Food Processing Association pays for it. And they complete our one-year electrical program. They do the Food Processing Association program for about uh, three weeks, a little less than three, I'm sorry, three months, a little a little less than three months, and the average salary of these students coming out has been $60,000. Wow. So within about 15 months, uh, you can earn a good solid wage, get into a company, and start your career off right away at a good solid uh, income, and then grow from there. Amazing. So Scott, have you heard of the company um, called Mission U that was bought by, I think it was WeWork? Have you heard of Mission U and their model? I've heard about it, but I don't, don't, don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, it but I'm well, I was going to ask because as an entrepreneur, I thought their model was really interesting. You're doing such a good, such an incredible job at getting placements. They had, they took risks on their students where um, you could come get the education completely for free, um, and then what they would do is take a percentage yep. over three years of their salary in their new job placement. So they were yep. actually 
hedging the bets on the job, job placement. Have you seen models like that? And what are your thoughts about that? I, I found that fascinating, that idea to align the incentive with the student. Yeah. Yep. I, I think it's a great model. Uh, unfortunately, our federal government isn't as enamored with it and people like Elizabeth Warren don't like it. It, it really all depends on how it's structured because A, I think it's great because it's, you really, the institution is putting their money where their mouth is. We're going to give you the skills to be successful and you don't have to risk anything as a student, but in return, we expect to get paid because we did provide you with a service. And the question is, how much do you get paid? And depending on how those, uh, they're, they're called ISA, income share agreements, and it depends on how they're structured. And what the government definitely doesn't like is kind of the unlimited, maybe upside that an individual could have because maybe they did get a really good job. And since you don't know what that job is in advance, they might agree to give, let's say, 10% of their income to you over three years, over 10% over three years could be equivalent to have paid, I'll just say two or three times what the tuition would have been. Now, not everyone is like that, who would fall into that category. It still would be a win-win for that individual they've paid nothing to get that skill. But the federal government views it as somehow a, a, an exorbitant interest rate for that loan. Um, so there is some negativity towards it. Uh, I think conceptually it's a good model. We've looked at that model, but given the negativity by the government, we've kind of stepped away from that. Uh, looking further into that. So model. fascinating and, and helpful. I, I, I figured you would know being so disruptive in the industry already, you would be keeping an eye out for new constructs and new ways about achieving the same goals in education. So Scott, tell us a little bit as a leader. Oh yeah, well, go ahead. Sorry no, no. to cut you off, Lindsay. Yep. Sorry, I was going to say, but you know, th this is what needs to happen though. There have to be more creative people in the education mm. space because the reality is so much of education is built around the financial aid structure that the federal government's put in place. And the financial aid structure is not designed necessarily to get people in and out quickly. Yeah. And you have to meet certain thresholds in order to uh, tap into that money. And uh, offering, it's designed around a traditional school. So if you want to provide training that's on an accelerated basis or shorter number of hours, it really doesn't serve that purpose. And so that's why you have things like Mission U coming up or others trying to kind of bridge that gap of how do I give a shorter form of training and, and make it economically viable. And so there are, I think, other ways for that to happen. There are people looking to, frankly, partner with industry to have almost companies be the backstop uh, to to provide you funding so that you provide training to an individual that then is going to go work for, uh, let's say, IBM or Amazon, and then you can get reimbursed by IBM or Amazon, almost like a placement fee for that individual. And, and that is not looked upon negatively. So w w all I'm trying to get to is there are lots of different angles out there for people to find new ways to help individuals get skills. And, and I'll just say another one is that what happened during the pandemic is they've now provided, and it hasn't made law to be permanent, but I'm hoping they will, whereby employers can pay back an individual's student loan up to about $5,200 a year, and that money is not taxed to the individual that's having the loan eliminated, which is a great way for employers to retain good caliber people and pay off the student loan. Uh, again, in my mindset, I mean, all of us who have gone to college and are putting the money, investing in ourselves, 
just need to make sure that we can get the return on the investment. And by having these mechanisms that employers or other entities are helping us uh, receive the benefit for having done that investment, I, I think that that is a, a, a new way to be looking at uh, how we fund education going forward. So that, that's really helpful. And I couldn't agree more. I just, I love when people like you um, are encouraging with the entrepreneurial spirit, innovation and disruption. Let's, let's figure something out. Let's come up with new solutions because you see sometimes in these more institutional um, generational uh, strongholds and, and sectors like education, there's a lot of archaic thinking and people holding onto the past because they're afraid of, of what could come. And, and, uh, and it, I'm just glad you have that spirit and that way of being about it because you're trying to create the most potential value. And it just shows that you're seeking what, what truth, what truth to prevail, you know, what, what's best. Um, so tell me as an entrepreneur, you know, you've, you've inherited this company. What, how old was Lincoln when you joined? Cause you said it's, you know, multi-generational company. How old was it when you joined? Right. So it yeah. started, so it was, uh, well, I've been here now 22 years and we're 76. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you can mm -hmm. do the math, uh, you know, several decades. It was, you know, founded by, frankly, you know, just like any kind of entrepreneur who founded the business, they see an opportunity. Uh, it started after World War II and all the vets were coming back. And he was a vet himself working in the VA and trying to figure out, well, how do we get these people employed? And a new technology at that time was automatic transmissions. People didn't understand them. So he put together a curriculum, started a school, uh, and uh, launched it, training people with uh, how to fix automatic transmissions. And the second new technology of the day was something called air conditioning, and they needed to be repaired. And so it started off with training vets, coming back, getting them skills, and then over the subsequent seven decades, we've kind of expanded into other areas and into other markets. Uh, it's the way that, that's just the way you know businesses grow. Uh, you know, yes, obviously. and when you when you're inheriting that like brand equity that's that that has that much uh, history, what did you do to kind of put your fingerprints yeah. on it? Because you know we have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurs that are creating their own. Either they've inherited something, purchased something, investing in something, or coming up with their own original entrepreneurial yep. endeavor. What did you do in terms of like taking the branding and putting your fingerprints on it and creating new identity and, and making it more relevant? Because you've done a great job. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, well, well, first of all, one of the things, as I mentioned earlier, we're a highly regulated industry and Lincoln's always had a very strong compliance culture. And frankly, I had to maintain that compliance culture, especially as we became a publicly traded company, because there's so much focus on grow, grow, grow. And uh, that's, that's when companies in our industry have frankly failed because they've grown too quickly and gotten themselves into bad situations, which has frankly led to a number of them having to shut down. So one, I had to go look at the company, what made it strong and ensure that I was uh, building upon that strength to continue it going forward. The, the, the second thing is, um, I've all, you know, you just have to look at companies that have survived and naturally quality endures, no matter if it's a weak market or a strong market. And I wanted to make sure that what we were delivering as a product always was at the top of the heap because, uh, again, we're highly regulated. We, we were typically very uh, counter-cyclical. 
um, and I'll just touch on this. We, we're an industry, education in general, uh, especially what we do, that grows when the economy is in a recession. So typically our best years were when there was a recession. What's exciting now is, again, this transformation, I believe, that's taking place and people are realizing they don't have to go to college, as well as they're hearing in the paper about the shortage of trained technicians. And even people witnessed it during COVID when they couldn't get their car fixed or have someone come to their house and fix things. That denial of that service really made people aware of the dire need that we all have for these types of trades. And so we are now growing during a period of time when we nimbly, typically would not, because unemployment is still below like 4%, uh, which is very healthy, yet we're growing uh, at high single digits to low double digits, which just, again, speaks to the fact that people are realizing that there are alternatives to college. There are also alternatives to getting you know, good, solid careers. So I just want to make sure that the product that we're offering is as high as quality as possible, because you know I, I want to be at the top uh, uh, of what we do, not not in the middle or not at the bottom. You, well, I, I hate to say this, but what's the point of that? Uh, if you have the ability and the chance to be the best and work towards being the best, that's that's what we're going to continue to push for. That's so that's so great, Scott. Do you, when you um, you know over the last twenty years building this brand and growing the company and delivering the best product, do you have any stories where you had some failures that you thought, oh my goodness, but that you know, oftentimes leaders will take a failure, the best leaders, and they pivot and use that as learning. Losing isn't always bad, right? Losing yep. can be beautiful learning and pivoting. Yep. Do you have any ideas or examples of that that might be helpful to our listeners as they're on their journeys? Well, yes. I mean, I guess if you haven't had any failures, then you haven't taken right. any risks to try to do something else. And and frankly, our business probably for the first 10 years that I was there was was pretty risk averse. Um, we're now looking for ways to grow. And as I was mentioning earlier, we've tried looking at ISAs and, and other short form training processes uh, to get students into careers. As we know from constantly talking to employers, which we do every day, what they're looking for as far as skills in, in, in individuals. And they don't always need a lot of skills. They just need some skills. But we have not been successful yet at creating a training model that can work for training someone for, um, let's say, a month or two months in, in total. Our programs, as I said, are usually seven to eight months. And the reason is um, it costs more money to do that, which means we have more money for marketing. And what we haven't been able to crack the code on yet is how do we attract students, frankly, at a lower cost uh, per person in marketing, because if our marketing costs, let's just say, are $2,000 a student, uh, it's tough to offer a $5,000 or $4,000 or $3,000 program if all of a sudden $2,000 has gone out the door just to get that student. So our failure has been, how do we find a cheaper marketing platform for these shorter programs? We know how to go into high schools and recruit students. We know how to attract adult students who have tried other avenues to get into the workforce but we, we in that model that we have costs as i said like two thousand a student what we need to do is find a model that's going to cost fifty dollars or seventy dollars or something of that nature and we just haven't cracked that yet others have but for whatever reason we haven't got have you yet. have you looked much into um online advertising paid ads and, and really you know honed in on that skill because yep. that just seems like 
with the sophistication of social media where you can actually like delineate a very specific audience type and demographic, it just seems like that might be a real yeah. shoe in. It, it should be. And that's frankly how we get most of our students today mm. is online. When, when, uh, when I first joined Lincoln, uh, the number one sources were um, something called the yellow oh. pages and uh, TV advertising. Wow. Um, so they, 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 they've gone away and now the number one source is the internet. And to your point though, social media, social media is where we can find that targeted audience and hopefully find it at a lower price point. Uh, but to be honest, we haven't been uh, as successful in our creativity to do that at a lower cost per mm. student. And frankly, also in the volume uh, th that we need. I mean, uh, you know, getting 10 students here or five students here um, isn't going to, I'll say, excite us or move our needle. We need 100 students in 20 different campuses. Uh, so that's 2,000 students in order to um, create something that we find more uh, exciting from a financial that's standpoint. That's really helpful detail. So in in terms of your... Um you have a marketing arm, I'm sure, through the through the your yep. company. Um, do you, do you, are there are there major restrictions in the government of how you can market that as well of what you can promise? And okay, no, that's no, no, well. Hey, we we, we can't mm -hmm. promise yes. anything because uh, that the government will will definitely get you for that. You you cannot promise, and we don't even frankly advertise our graduation rates, even though wow. it's so much better, and our placement wow. rates. Because unfortunately, uh, people take that and they expect that same that result sense. for themselves. And if they don't get the same exact result, then they blame us for it and they complain to yes. the government. So what we what we have to do is we the, all this information about our placement rates and, and things of that nature. There's something called the College Scorecard, uh, which the Obama administration put in, which right. is great. It's providing greater transparency for people to start doing some research, and and you're going to be able to start looking at by career, you know, what is the graduation and placement rate for going to any school? Because you know prior to this, it really you know. You had no idea. You just said, okay, going to college was great. I guess I can go to any college. It will, will be great. But the, you know, the, the reality is um, the graduation rates, um, you know, for that, you know, for there, there are 40, I think 300 institutions of post-secondary learning mm. out there. Um, so you, you should do your homework to make sure that what you think your school is delivering is is what is being delivered. But in any event, from a marketing standpoint, no, what we do is explain who we are, what we do. We explain what the market opportunity is for a student, what the job opportunities are, what the average salaries could be. Again, we direct them to, let's say, uh, BLS data or government data, just so we make sure that we don't, um, I'll say, exaggerate the truth in any which way, because we never would want to do that. Uh, but it's really... Um, getting in front of people. I mean, what, what's a little bit sad to me is when we come to students and they realize, I never knew that this was an opportunity right. available to me. I was never told in high school that this could work. Everyone always told me, go to college, go to college, um, which is a bit of the crime of that and shame mm -hmm. that's happened is that the you know, uh, guidance counselors are, are many, many communities rewarded by what percent go to college, not what is the best thing for that yes, student. Sir. Yes, sir. Um, and I, I think people are waking up to that and getting better. At least I hope they are. Uh, because, it, you know, again, just saddling people with a bunch of debt with nothing to show for it is is not 
the way we need to move forward as a country. I'd love to connect you to some friends who are like experts in the industry of, you know, the, re the retention through online marketing, because I do think that through, through creative oh. narrative, you don't have to promise anything, but, but the idea that, Hey, here are the rates of how many college students are actually, here's people are no longer asking you for a bachelor's degree in order to be employed at Google. I mean, public information, right. it's already known, but yep. communicating that in a succinct way, people feel it, but sometimes just having that articulated very succinctly through messaging, concrete messaging could really help people think, wait a minute. Yeah. There's nothing wrong. I'm not less than if I'm making six figures as an electrician. Right. And again, these people yep. who got yep. a liberal arts degree and are now baristas, like I actually have a more respectable job. I have, I demand, I, I enjoy it. Yep. I mean, just helping, like you said, reframe that, that culture would be fun to connect you to some of the right people. One, one thought I had was your, um, you're solving a solution that's really important for anti-reseticism. Have you guys worked with former inmates? Mm -hmm. Have you talked? Can you talk about that at all? That just feels like an incredible corporate social responsibility yep. agenda. I mean, your whole company, yep. uh, your whole entire mission is corporate social responsibility. I mean, it's social enterprise. You're solving a right. huge social issue. But can you talk a little about that about prison inmates and? Well, you're you're very astute, and that is a, a challenge that's out there. We actually do have two programs out there, you know, small in nature. We do a, 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 a female prison up in Danbury, Connecticut, giving them skills to become electricians and HVAC techs. And we also have a program uh, at a male uh, institution in New Jersey at Fort Dix, where we're providing them with skills to become electricians and HVAC techs. Um, and we'd like to do more of those. There's, it's difficult to, uh, I'll say, sometimes get into these institutions, uh, but it is so far proving that uh, the, it, it, what's really, well, it's proving that they don't come back to no. prison as readily, needless to say, if they have a career or something to look forward to when they mm. get out. It also helps them while they're in prison to give them something focused on and positive right. for their right. lives to, to, again, make them more successful when they come out. Um, but it's, it's a very, it's a big regulatory process to, to get into these uh, institutions. But we do hope to be able to serve more going forward simply because we are, you know, to be honest, we got into it. I wanted to make sure that we really were seeing the results that the institution was expecting and what we would expect. And we are seeing that. So now I want to try to expand that more. You're so great. So yeah, Scott, you know, my first thought was, you know, it's so unfortunate sometimes when we're solving these great societal issues like prison inmates, you know, I'm not sure what the national recidivism rates are right now, but I think it's in the, it's so tragic. It's like in the 80th, high 80 percentile. Yeah, it's, it's higher than any of us would like, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I, I, I used to work in this space a little bit in consulting and philanthropy, but so I don't know what the cur current numbers are, but I know it's just absurd that, that how mm -hmm. many inmates end up back in prison and the yeah. cost on taxpayer, the taxpayer liability is just tremendous. Yeah. Um, and then there's all these other further downstream costs. If parents go to prison, kids then go into the system into yeah. welfare and foster care and we have vulnerable children. And that's an additional tax burden um, on yeah. society, let alone the spiritual or emotional or social costs, mm -hmm. right? Because now yeah. you have kids who are you know more prone to being sexually exploited, having mental illness. Then you have okay. generational poverty. So like making sure parents have the resources to take care and individuals have um, self, you know, reliance and have their basic needs met. 
Most people yep. end up in crime due to poverty. And so you're solving a very top of the funnel, very important early stream um, issue in society that could just obliterate so many of, of heartbreaking suffering in humanity yep. and in our in our country. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, I think about refugees that come over um, uh -huh. and I'm thinking about partnerships that you might have where there's so many philanthropists that are solving the problems of the with Band-Aid solutions. They don't know yeah. any better. They just have a yeah. heart for refugees that come over yeah. here. Yeah. And here's these people with incredible work ethics, PhDs, and due to uh -huh. you know um, corruption and, and geopolitics have ended up forcibly, or natural disasters forcibly as forced migration here in the United States without jobs, without an education, and to come and get a hard skill like you and then fit into the system and meet demands and build value into our community through their asylum um, status would just be so wonderful. So I'm sitting here going, how can we leverage partnerships with mm. philanthropists where they could fund yeah. this education through you? Have you done much of that in terms of yeah. programs that address foster care edu education, prison inmates, refugees? I just feel like, you know, single yeah. mothers, like there's so yep. much value you're creating. Well, the answer is we haven't done all those things for sure, because there are lots of opportunities as well, lots of challenges. Uh, as I did say, we do have the sm two small programs in prisons that we want to ex uh, increase. Our, probably our nurses, probably 80% of them are single mothers. So again, we're giving them that opportunity uh, to become a nurse, which they, they, they all want to become, frankly, RNs. They haven't been able to get into the RN program, so they can come into our LPN program, get that skill, and then advance later uh, and become RNs. But to, to your specific question of partnering with other people, we have not, just because we seem to have enough on our plate as it is. But if there's someone who's listening that has a connection that wants to find an institution that can help them train, I'm more than willing and confident that if you're looking at the fields that we're offering today, that we could be a good partner or, or solution uh, with those individuals. Well, Scott, now I'm now my my brain is going to be thinking. I'm going to make some introductions to you because I know people. I know people working on a lot of these issues that you would be just such a gift to. And each of us being in the right seats of our of the bus, working together, yep. we go further. We all know that. So, Scott, just thank you so much for coming on the show. Maybe as like a final follow up. Um, currently, are you a family man? Do you have children? Any any grandchildren yep. by any chance? Oh, no grandchildren yet. I, I have four children who are 30, 28, 26, and 24. None are married as of yet. Um, should be happening possibly very soon with one of them, uh, maybe soon with another one as well. Uh, and I have uh, three boys and the youngest is a girl, uh, which I'm very thankful for. And they're kind of spread out across the country, one in New York, one in Las Vegas, one in Denver, and one in Washington, D.C., so, um, but luckily we have Amazing. schools in most of those places. So I get to visit all of them. That's like everything in life, right? Those, those children and, and the legacy and love of your family. I'm curious, like to leave in parting. I, I like to ask this question often to my guests. It's like, you've got a bunch of listeners, but if you were, if this podcast was just directly to your children, what's some, maybe a nugget or two of advice you'd want to leave with them? You know, if they're, if you, you know, Hey, this is like commemorated and filmed and put on the internet and they can go back and say, something dad wanted me to know, you know, I, okay. Yeah. I don't think we can get enough <laughs> legacy, legacy, like leaving messaging um, for our children with our values, our core values and beliefs. Is there anything you want to share with your children? 
Well, I share a lot with them. I never know when they're listening or when they're not, but when they play it back to me later, uh, what something I've said to them, that, then I feel good that, yes, it did sink in. Uh, again, you know, I think the basic thing is uh, any parent, you just have to really believe in yourself no matter what. You're going to face adversity. We all face adversity, but it's those that persist and move on that end up uh, growing and becoming uh, more successful. And I, I believe that everyone, frankly, has that capability and uh, can benefit from just having a positive attitude and persevering and pushing through. Uh, I mean, we know there could be snow one day and the next day it could be sunny. We, we, we know it's going to happen. You just have to be open-minded and, and ready for that, uh, the, that goodness to, to fill your life and, and make you uh, a happier, more successful person. That's awesome advice. So perseverance, keep going. Expect snow. <laughs> yeah, and there's there going to be bumps they, along the way. None of us, no matter how good, you know, you know well, I digress. I mean, this social media thing to me is just a killer for these kids who just get so wrapped mm. up in seeing this, you know, life that they think these other people are having when reality mm. is no one's having that type of uh, life. And it's uh, right. the, you know, highlight it's the highlight reel, the highlight reel. It's just yeah. sad. But, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and thank you for all you're doing to help support the middle class, these these soft skills, these these middle skills, as you said, um, and hard skills as well. You're just, you're empowering people with um, such new tracks to success. And I'm just so yeah. grateful. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Scott. Appreciate you. You're awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate your inviting me and I'm glad I could share some of the stories. And you asked me, earlier, why am I uh, at Lincoln Tech? And it is because of that ability to change people's lives, hopefully for the better and for a long period of time. So thank you. Yeah, come on. Thank you. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.